Morning Seven Run. Thank you so much for joining us in worship today. Just want to welcome those of you on YouTube and Facebook and, and just to encourage you today to interact with the message and to respond all the way through, um, especially in ways that would help us connect with you throughout the rest of the week. Today, we're continuing in our Stay Positive message. And we're living in times of incredible racial tension, which actually is a long history in American history. But I want to talk to you today about staying positive in the midst of the racial tension. And I want to share with you today that, that a culture of honor destroys racism forever. And the reality is that, as always, the scriptures has the answer to our problems. And if we will just look there and live the scriptures, enact the scriptures in our lives, then we can be the agents of change, the light of the world that will, that will be the answer that people can clearly see is different. We want to create a culture of honor. In a world of fear and so much anger and anxiety, we want to work to create a culture of love and honor that will reveal Jesus and change lives. Romans 12, 9 and 10 says this, love, agape, must be sincere, not a matter of show. Hate what is evil. That means work against it. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. The, the second use of the word love here is the word Philadelphia, and it has to do with the brotherly, familial love that like we're kin together, but we're not just kin who don't like each other. We're kin who are friends. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This countercultural call is the answer to racism in America. Racism. And, and I just want to say before I start that, um, gosh, there is no more charged topic in America than, than this one. And there is no single subset of language that is going to please everybody. There, there, there are no uh, unified ideas that everybody agrees on. So I'm pretty much guaranteed on stepping on everybody's toes this morning. And, uh, and that's just the way it is. That's just the way it works. So I would just ask for grace today um, in, in the hearing of the message. Racism is a complex cultural system of dishonor. It's a complex cultural system of dishonor and prejudicial, prejudicial treatment, uh, which creates a caste system primarily based on the pigment of another human being's skin relative to their own. Now, that's a mouthful, but it is a great working definition of what racism is. Imagine the insanity of judging another person's life, of presuming to know anything about their worth or the depths of their dreams and their fears and pains and losses and sorrows based on something as shallow as the visible relative content of their C18, H10, N402, the melanin in their skin. Sin built a caste system based on the pigment of skin. This is hell's work of exclusion. Love created a kingdom from the blood of Christ. This is heaven's work of inclusion. What I want to say to you today as we talk about uh, creating a culture of honor is, you know, let me lay a foundation for, for a few minutes if I can. Racism is a historical reality that's still making history. And 
And then the reality is that there's a, a, um, a, a mathematical term that kind of describes the sorrow and the tragedy of how I feel as a, as a, a believer and a follower of Christ with lighter pigment skin in relationship to my brothers and sisters um, with, with darker pigmented skin. Um, you know, the, the, the white and black separation line, the, the, the separation between, between yellow and brown and, and, and all of the separation that divides us based on the simple appearance of the pigment of our skin. The word is it's called an asymptote. And technically, it's the, the definition of a line that continually approaches a given curve that does not meet it at any distance. And this is, this is the, the reality of, of our lives together as believers. It is the distance that's between us um, as we sit next to one another, black and white and, 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 and yellow and red. It's, it's what makes us other and not quite uh, the same. Years ago, I was sitting in a group of pastors, um, black and white. And one of the leading black pastors made this statement. He began his statement with all white people, and then he, he made a statement about that. And in that moment, I just felt my heart sink. I sensed his pain and his hurt, but I also sensed that I wasn't one with him. And so after a minute, I, I kind of raised my hand and, and, and just simply said, would that be an acceptable statement if I, if I said that all black people and then I filled in the blank? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I don't think that everybody thinks the same just based on the pigment of their skin. I think that to truly understand what somebody thinks, you have to talk to them and ask them. It's, it's this distance that that stands between us, even as Christians, even as we talk about loving one another and sing songs about love. But in the end, there's just this reality that we're still not the same. We're still not family. We're still not acceptable. We're still, we're still apart. I, I years ago had a friend who would talk about my people. And I quickly recognized that that wasn't a reference to me. And, and so, so we have to overcome this, this moving towards one another, but never quite touches on any, in any finite uh, space. We, we have to do better. We have to, to reality, realize that, that racism is a historical reality. And it's still making history. Now, there are those who deny the reality of racism. And I got to just be really honest today. And, and again, kind of, I guess, not trying, not cavalierly, but kind of offend everybody. I, I have been newly astonished at my lighter-skinned brothers, my, my white brothers and sisters, who are still in deep denial about racism, saying it doesn't exist. You know, here's, here's the reality, is that historically it exists. You can't deny the, the reality of, of, of racism you know, and, and even appeal to indentured servanthood back in the, in the 1770s and say, well, white people were, it's not the same. You, you, can't, you can't minimize the reality of the forced importation of, of, of millions of people to be unpaid workers, valued not for their, their lives in Christ, created in God, but simply for, for their unpaid work. You can't deny the reality of slavery. 
You can't say that the, the Civil War was fought for states' rights. It's complex, but it was about owning people and not wanting to lose the advantage of having somebody work for you for life and owning them without ever paying them. And then there's Reconstruction and all of the work to, to, to keep the vote from becoming a reality if your pigment was dark. It's about Jim Crow laws. It's about moving on into the 20s and, and segregation that, that, that even in the military separated people willing to die for their country, although the military was often on the leading edge of it. It's about the Civil Rights Act and, and people in my lifetime who were forced to, to eat in different restaurants, drink from different fountains, go to different schools. And some of you who are white like me say, well, that was then, it's not now. You, in my opinion, are being naive. You're denying the, the legacy of racism. Racism is a historical reality that has, it's still making history. You know, there's a million books that, that I could refer you to. I would point you to one local book that, that if you can read this book and deny the reality of racism uh, in Baltimore, um, I, I want to talk to you. It's called Not in My Backyard, the, How Bigotry Shaped a Great American City uh, by Antero Piatia. And, and it's just a history of, of um, really, it sounds boring, but it's just a history of, of, of how racism impacted real estate and the ability to own land and how people were grouped together and forced to live in some neighborhoods and excluded from others. And the reality is that these policies and practices and prejudices still were ongoing into the 90s and still have influence and are determinative of how people are grouped in Baltimore City and elsewhere today. I want to ask you before you just outright deny the reality of racism, to talk to 10 people of color and ask them if they believe racism is real today. And if you're white, listen in love before you deny in defensiveness. And, and ask yourself, is my Facebook opinion more eternally important than Christ's love and scripture? This is, this is where we are today in this fight of whether we acknowledge the ongoing systemic reality of racism in our culture like secondhand smoke or whether we deny it and, and want to delegate it to something uh, that is a part only of the distant past. And, and I can't go there because just listening to my brothers and sisters of color, the stories are too fresh, the pain is too real, and the reality is undeniable. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the author of 16 books, has uh, written uh, several just really insightful op-ed pieces in the LA Times. And he said, racism in America is like dust in the air. It seems invisible even when you're choking on it until you let the sun in. And then you can see it everywhere. I want to remind you that we people who are called in a world of dishonor, in an insecure world of, of put-downs, in an insecure world of, of having to lift yourself up, we are called uh, as the people who've been honored by Christ to give honor away freely and to honor others above ourselves. We are the people of the light. We are people who let the sun in on our culture and who illuminate the dust of sin in the air that we're all breathing that's killing us. In the LA Times on the July 7th, 
uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said this, it's exhausting and frustrating trying to convince such people that systemic racism pervades all aspects of American life. It's like talking to a flat earther. Proof is useless. Their steadfast refusal to believe the hundreds of studies by prominent scientists remind me of Dr. Ignis Semmelweis, a Hungarian physician, one of Marcia's favorites, my wife's. You see, this, this Hungarian physician, he's responsible for millions of lives being saved um, by, by advocating for hand washing. He was one of the first people who began to believe that there were these invisible things called germs. And in, in Semmelweis's experience, um, in, in the hospital that he was in, there, there were uh, um, doctors in training who would go down into the, the autopsy room and, and work on cadavers and then go right up to the delivery room and help women give birth. And, and the death rate was, was horrendous, like 50%. And as he began to notice that, he began to develop the concept of these unseen germs and encourage hand washing. The reality is that most of the medical community rejected his advice. They thought that he was crazy. And despite growing evidence that he was right, he was ultimately committed to an asylum where he was beaten by guards and he died 14 days later. It was only after his death, years later, that his theories were accepted and the invisible was seen. They couldn't see germs, so they weren't real. Sound familiar, he writes? In The Usual Suspects, Character Verbal Kent says this, the greatest trick the devil ever um, pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. I'd tweak that a bit, he says. The other greatest trick is convincing the world that racism doesn't exist. Guys, I want to share with you that we who are the people of light, we who are the recipients of the agape eternal love of God, have, have love at work in our lives in ways that the rest of the world doesn't. And love cannot sit on the sidelines ignoring people in pain. Let me just tell you, it's a great general practice if you're married, that if your spouse says there's a problem, you'd be wisest not to deny the problem. You'd be wisest simply to to be quiet and listen in love and grace to what he or she has to say. The truth is, many evangelical Christians... By that, I'm talking about those many of of us who have white pigment in our skin, who are part of a culture that sees life in a certain way and judges life in other ways, that, that most of us have done exactly that. We have chosen to ignore people of color and people in pain. What Reverend Martin Luther King wrote in his letters from Birmingham jail in 1963 is still true. First, I must confess, he wrote, Over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with a white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's real great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's council or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who's more devoted to order than to justice, who prefer a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice who constantly say, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with you in the methods of direct action. In other words, you know, people who agree in principle, but who do nothing in action, who do not commit their lives to to living as the light that shines 
and reveals the dust of a sin that can be eradicated by the grace of Christ. The truth is, most of us think with the world and live from its fear. We go along with our culture to avoid its rejection. We honor ourselves above everybody else because we're afraid we're nothing. And out of this insecurity and lovelessness, we, we judge and we seek honor rather than, than give it. In Romans chapter 2, chapter 12, verse 2, the scripture says this of the believer. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I would challenge you before you agree with anything that's popular in culture, that you check it out with scripture. For the follower of Christ, everything they do comes from love. Everything. Our life begins in the agape, eternal love of God. It's transformative. It's, it's, it's devastating of sin. It's It's awesome in creating new life. John 3.16 talks about this agape love of God. For God so agape the world, he so loved the world that he acted. He did something. He had compassion on us. He honored the dishonorable. He didn't judge the judgeworthy. He, He acted in such a way that he gave what was most infinitely valuable to him, his one and only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the agape work of God. And so I I gotta ask you again, are you born again? Have you ever truly accepted the, the gift of salvation, of eternal life, of love in Christ? Because when you began this journey of of new life, love comes home and love does new work in your life. First John, uh, or excuse me, John. Uh, 13, 34, and 35 has been called the 11th commandment. Jesus said this. This is, this is right before he's going to be crucified. This is on the night of the Last Supper. Jesus has just finished washing the, the feet of his um, disciples. He has, you know, he was worthy of honor, knelt down, and gave them the honor of washing their dirty feet. And then he said this. A new command I give you. Love one another. My agape is putting you in a new relationship with one another that is not based on class. It's not based on status. It's not based on skin. It's not based on religion. It's based on on my love for you and your willingness to let my love for you pour out into love for others. So this isn't a suggestion. It's not an inspiration. It is a necessary command that you must obey. Love one another. To what extent, to what level? In the exact same way I have loved you, to the extent I've loved you, you are now responsible for this mission. Love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Racism could not exist if we live the love of Jesus Christ. And the simple truth is that the church of the living God has paid lip service to love without ever bothering to really do it. Racism is a historical reality that is still making history. In college, I had a very bitter pastor, ex-pastor, sitting in my living room. And he told me the story in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, of 
of trying to integrate his church because he felt God was calling him to do so. And the response of his theoretically saved, Bible-believing church was to have the deacons take him outside and beat him until he couldn't stand. That same year, we were attending a little country church, and a friend of mine was pastor there, and we were there on Wednesday night, and Marsha brought a friend of hers from the science department, a person of color. And as she came in and sat down, three people in that small crowd got up proudly, obviously, and walked out. Well, that next Sunday, I guess my friend was gone, and they called me on Saturday and asked me to preach. It's the last time I ever preached there. And the first words out of my mouth that Sunday morning were, how dare you? Which one of you decided which century you were going to be born in? Which one of you decided, you know, uh, and, and what were the factors in your decision of, of whether you would be born white or black or, or male or female or, or with this gifting or that? What were the factors as you decided all this so that you could be proud of it? The truth is, these were God's gift of grace. We had nothing to do with him. Racism is a historical reality that's still making history in hearts and minds that are unsaved and and honestly, sadly, in some saved hearts and minds that that are dishonoring to God. Here's what I want to share with you this morning. That a culture of honor destroys racism forever. I I, I hate everything COVID. I I do. I I, I grieve it. And I find myself increasingly at a place of, of, you know, just being astounded by how much the losses are and how different things are and and how much everything has changed. But but the thing that that I'm loving that God is doing in the midst of of COVID is that, that he has given us a chance to move forward in, in, on the issues of, of race and racial equality and racial justice as never before. We can create a culture of honor and, and the people of light can be at the forefront of this. We don't have to be in the back dragging our feet, afraid to make waves. We don't have to be denying racism any longer and minimizing it and, and saying, well, because I have an experience, nobody has. Just be quiet. For some of us, I, I don't even want to encourage you, and I'm, I'm, I'm overstating, so please give me a little grace. But for some of us, I don't even want to ask you to have a conversation with a person of color because many of us are too quick to give our opinion um, and, and our, our judgments when we haven't been there. We haven't walked a mile in our brother's shoes. And just simple humility would say, just be quiet. And ask some of the people of color around you what their experience has been. And just listen, have empathy. God has had empathy with you. Have some empathy, compassion. And learn what it's like to walk a mile in your your brother's shoes, your sister's shoes. Love honors the worth of the hurting. That's the compassion of God. It's it's our call as we look for those around us, according to Matthew 25, 40, and, and we look for those who are hurting and we move towards them as Jesus and then we meet Jesus. This this is our opportunity in in the the sin of racism in in America. Romans 12, 9 and 10 says, love must be sincere. It's not a matter of show. It's not a matter of knowing words that you don't do. If you don't do the words, you don't know the words. 
and you're mocking scripture. I'm mocking scripture. If I don't act on what I know, love must be sincere, active from the heart. It has to be courageously, infinitely more than words because this is God's agape love, powerful, eternal, redemptive, and extravagant. It's risky. Hate what is evil. That means work against it. It, it, it means to avoid maximizing and minimizing. It, 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 it means avoiding saying, well, everybody's racist and all white people are racist. No, that's a racist statement. To make generalizing statements that categorize people before you understand their heart is, is a prejudicial uh, movement and, and it's not God. To say, on the other hand, racism does exist. Exists. So you're saying the sin of racism has forever been defeated? Oh, what other sins have been defeated? I'd like to know because I still keep running into them. Learn to seek truth. Truth has been thrown out the window in our culture. Everybody's opinion is of equal weight. It's not. Truth is truth. And, and like the layers of the onion, we are, we are responsible to seek it. You and I one day are going to face the judgment of God. And at the judgment of God, it's not going to really matter in one sense what I thought, what my opinion was. What's going to matter is what the truth was and how humbly I sought the truth and my God. And the scripture says we're going to give an account for, for every thought and every word that we've ever care, carelessly spoken. On the day of judgment, accountability is coming. In these days of sin, grace and love can reign and love can conquer a multitude of sin. We can win this thing. So call out sin wherever it's found. Then work against it in joyful love, not in hatred, you know, but in joyful love. Cling to what is good. Don't be overwhelmed or discouraged by the size of the sin. And, and I got to admit, in my advanced years, that, that, that dealing with broken people, you know, sometimes just the, the, the vastness of the brokenness and the, and the size of the sin, and, and it, it does sometimes just wash over me like a wave and make me hopeless. And then Jesus captures my attention again, and, and I'm, 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 I'm new, I'm starting over. The reality is God is at work powerfully in Christ everywhere. And we get to be a part of that. Jesus said in this COVID season, as we deal with, with racial justice and, and the tension of, of, of racism, Jesus said, my peace I give you in John 16, You know, I'm giving you my peace. So do not let your heart be troubled. You know, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. And, and so... Man, with that kind of confidence, we can, we can be the light. Be devoted to one another in love. Let me ask, who's the they to you? Who's them? Every category of those who are other than what you are and who you are is automatically less than what you are and who you are. And that's prejudice. Be devoted to one another. The first time love is used in this passage, it says love must be sincere. That's agape. This time it's Philadelphia. It's brotherly love that, that, that is familial. It means we're related to one another, uh, but, but, but not related like broken earthly families that don't like each other or don't talk to each other. No, we're family and, and we're a family of friends. We love each other. Our identity is in our life together. Be devoted to one another. Um, it's it's the, the we belong to each other kind of love. Delight in loving one another as Christ delighted in loving you on the cross. No fear, no judgment. This is loving as Christ loved us. 
John 15, 34. As Jesus joyfully brought us into his life, we have to joyfully bring others into our life. That's our honor. Honor one another above yourself. Forget about yourself. Forget about your opinions. Forget the lost ways of a hell-bound world and our culture. Um, Give honor across racial lines. Create a, a walking culture of honor within your life. Honor means to see the infinite worth of someone else. But you really can't do that if you've never seen the infinite worth that God has seen in you. Look to the blood-stained ground beneath the cross and be in awe of how much God loves the people he creates. And then you be in awe of all of God's other kids, of every color in which he delighted creating them in. Be in awe. Honor. Be secure in your worth in Christ that you don't need to seek being honored by anyone or being noticed. And you've been noticed. You've been honored. Now give honor. And help other people discover their worth in Christ. Those who live in awe of the worth of Christ live in awe of the worth of others. So let me just conclude with this and and thank you so much for your grace in the message today. Saying I'm not racist isn't the same as being anti-racist. A, you may be wrong. You still may have attitudes and and opinions that are prejudicial, that that prejudge people based on the appearance of their melanin. B, to say I'm not racist means you're not working actively against the evil of racism. You're just just kind of where Martin Luther was lamenting, Martin Luther King Jr. was lamenting the people in in 1963, people who who say, yeah, it's wrong, but you're not going to do anything. Honoring brothers and sisters who are suffering from the sin of racism means becoming anti-racist until the sin of racism no longer exists on planet Earth. And we have our work cut out for us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to accept the extravagant honor of Christ's love for you. You gotta believe when you look at Jesus that he loved you with the agape eternal love of God and he honored you with his highest gift, his blood. Then honor the people of other cultures above yourself and your own. I truly want to challenge us to honor one another across cultural lines, to honor one another across color lines. I want to challenge those of you who have white skin to honor people Uh, who have other color skin above other white skin people. I want to challenge those of you who have um, colored skin to honor uh, people with white skin above your, your own self. Secondly, I want to challenge you in terms of what to do to listen before you speak. Especially those of us with, with white skin, ask 10 people of color their experience about racism. And then decide if you think racism is real. Let God's people be your people forever. No distance between. And then commit in your life to become an anti-racist. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. And honor one another above yourselves. That's God's answer the sin of racism in a badly broken world.